0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Adelaide Gay is an American goalkeeper that is currently playing in Sweden. This is coming after stops at several NWSL teams and other teams in other countries all around the world. Adelaide continues to explore new routes and push forward with her playing career. This conversation that I recorded with Adelaide covers her entire playing career and experiences as a youth, collegiate, and professional player. So during this conversation, we discuss what led her to the University of North Carolina and coach Anson Dorrance, how competitive the professional goalkeeper landscape is in American soccer, and why pushing your own limits can sometimes be a balancing act. In addition to playing professional soccer, Adelaide has also co-founded the popular brand notebook, which has become a very helpful tool for many coaches and many players around the world. To learn even more about Adelaide and to connect with her and her brand, brand sounded weird, uh, you can uh, find links to that on 343coaching.com. And 343coaching.com is also where you can go for a very unique and different and special type of coaching education. And I say that because it's a program that I absolutely believe in and a program that I searched high and low for and could not find anywhere else. And when I finally did find it on 343coaching.com, it completely changed the way that I coached my teams. And I mean that for the better. Uh, If you want to find and learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Program, which is also the program that helps to support and fund this podcast, you can do that by visiting three four three coaching.com. Okay, uh, let's get into today's episode with Adelaide Gay. Hey, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Uh, awesome. Hey, it, it worked. <laughs> it
1: did. Good.
0: <laughs> awesome. Can you
1: hear me all right? I have you through my, my headphones, and sometimes oh. they're super loud. But No, okay. it's,
0: it's perfect. It's perfect.
1: Good. Good.
0: Cool. Well, awesome. um, what do you want to talk about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I was just wondering that myself. Um, what do you want to talk about?
0: No, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. I've adopted this tactic of not preparing for interviews, which sounds really weird, but Mm -hmm. after doing, man, over 125 episodes now, I feel like I've come up with like a pretty decent, you know, set of, of questions or ideas or or topics that people are interested in. So I Mm kind of just use those to explore. Um, but I'll, yeah. I'll kind of tell you. I'll will kind of tell you what's on my mind right now, and maybe we can explore okay. that and then see see where that takes us. Okay. Um. So this is what's on my mind right now. Just the other day, I had the very fortunate experience of interviewing Hope Solo, and she has recently filed a lawsuit, a federal lawsuit, against U.S. Soccer. To, I want to make sure I portray this correctly. Um, She's fighting for equal pay for for women's for women's soccer here in the United States, and for for better wages for women soccer players. And you know she's done some things to to kind of help move that argument along and to put that on a bigger stage. And so the thing that's on my mind right now is that you're a young goalkeeper, American goalkeeper that chose to not play here in the United States and moved to Sweden to play. And mm-hmm. I'm very curious about the decision to do that. And if you're experiencing some of those same problems abroad. So that's where my mind is right now.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I think the, the choice to go overseas was really mostly motivated by um, playing time. I think, money is obviously an issue in terms of getting to a point where you can support yourself and live. Um, But I think any female athlete that chooses to play for a living, um, it sucks, but you're kind of almost have to be okay with the fact that you're probably not going to make a ton of money. Um, So I think for me, it was just sort of getting playing time and especially as a goalkeeper, um, even if I, did make a roster, um, in the U.S. A lot of times, you know, you play, maybe if you're the backup, you play one game, two games a year. Um, and I came over here and in three years I played probably 75 games. Um, so I think that was a motivating factor for me. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it was a good decision, I think at the time, uh, but it's always a trade off, right. Being home and that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, of course another another thing that i'm sure factored into it is that there's only a limited number of spots available for players especially goalkeepers here in the united states like if if i remember right what's nwsl has 9 teams right now i think so <laughs> yeah. if you, if you if you you know times that you know by 2 thinking that every team has a keeper and a backup goalkeeper that's 18 spots available for professional right. goalkeepers in women's soccer in the united states and just doing just saying that out loud like it, mm-hmm. it kind of makes my skin crawl like that's that's almost like embarrassing <laughs>
1: <laughs> i know it's tough and and then if you add in there's probably you know four five maybe six u.s national team goalkeepers in that pool and then maybe four depending on the year canadians it's national team players it's Pretty small leftover spots, and you know, the amount of players that are graduating from college every year are huge. So yeah, it's a very competitive market for jobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously did did you did you go through like the American college system? Is that was that the route that you took?
1: Uh yeah 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 I graduated from UNC December of two
0: thousand twelve. Wow. I did not yep. know that you were a, that you were a Tar Heel. So this is adding to my list of Tar Heels.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
0: That's awesome. Yep. So just uh, just earlier today, like actually two hours ago, I released an interview with Taylor Ramirez or Taylor Craven, I think is her name now. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. So she's a former yeah. Tar Heel. She was I, there when I was there. Yeah. Um yeah. And I've interviewed Yaël. And oh, I and love ya. Yeah. And then I actually, I actually interviewed Anson recently too.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Tell me, tell me, tell me what it was like playing for Anson. I'm curious. Everybody's perspective is a little bit different, but also there's some common threads throughout everybody's stories.
1: Um, well, first of all, it was a great experience. I love Anson. Um, and I enjoy going back every year and, and seeing him again. And, um, it was great. I think, He's very much like a i don't know a better way to say it than just like kind of like a fatherly figure it is like kind of the way he like coaches it's he like holds a very high standard um but he's also you can tell that he's pulling for you, you know so um it was interesting it was obviously a fun experience, but um yeah, he's a cool guy, very very smart he's very smart, so it was there. fun to learn from him.
0: Yeah, very smart, very competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that commonly gets brought up when talking about Anson and his coaching style, especially on game day, is the way that he uses substitutes and mm-hmm. you know how he'll kind of you know it, it, it's almost like a hockey line change at, at sometimes, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I, I'd be curious to get your perspective though, because that doesn't include the goalkeeper. So what what did that mean for you? Uh, as a as a goalkeeper, and, and keep in mind that I don't I don't know if you were a starter, if you were a backup, if you were a third string. So you know what what does that mean for a goalkeeper in Anson's system? How how does that fit in?
1: Um yeah, so when I was there, he did. Um, generally speaking, if the goalkeepers were close in like ability, he would split them. You know, first half, second half, and then towards the end of the season, kind of make a decision going into like. ACC or NCAA tournament or continue splitting um so I actually started out my first year I was the third string goalkeeper and I actually got into a game because the two goalkeepers ahead of me got injured um and I played like two or three games and then once one of them came back one was season ending and then um I kind of got to keep playing from there so it's interesting obviously it's tough if you're Um, you feel like you should be the starter and you want to play all the minutes. But I also think it's a good system in the sense that you always feel like you have a chance. And I would say that was one of the best things about being at UNC is even when I went to practice as like a third string goalkeeper, I always felt valued. I always felt like, you know, I had a chance um, that if I worked hard, I could work my way into the lineup and I got a little lucky, but I think that that's one of the benefits of having that kind of competitive system um, plus you just end up having more players. My senior year, when we we won the national title, and I think a big reason was um, we had a lot of players that were away at the U-20 championship, and the players that were there playing while they were away got a lot of games in, and then when it came down to the end of the season, I mean, we beat a lot of teams just with sheer volume of players that we had that were at a high level, so I think it's, a little bit of a, you know, there are pros and cons, but it worked out well for me. So, uh,
0: absolutely. And another thought that comes to mind is the preparation that you and your teammates. Um, I I imagine that you guys were going through throughout you know your your career at UNC, but preparing for, you know, the next logical step in your, in your playing careers. So Mm -hmm. as, as you are progressing, as you, you know, sophomore, junior, senior, you know, you're, you know, that your days are numbered and you have to start thinking about what am I going to do next? So at what point did you actually start thinking about that? And at what point did you realize, Hey, maybe going abroad is the best logical solution for, for, for my career.
1: Hmm. Well, it's interesting because I I think it's different nowadays. Uh, People in college know there will probably be a pro league when they graduate. Um, My first year after graduating was the first year of the NWSL. Um, And I did not get drafted. Um I went and I tried out in Boston. Uh didn't make it there. I actually went to Western New York for a day. Um and while I was there, Portland called. Um and I ended up signing with them for the two thousand and thirteen season and I was signed with them that whole season but didn't play a game. And then the next year Hold on, hold um, on,
0: hold on, hold on. I I don't want to skip over that. So you, okay. You were in Portland for an entire year and didn't play a game. What does that? What does that do for your mentality? What does that do for your decision making from that point on?
1: Um. Well, yeah. So the next year, um, I was waived in the off season. It was kind of like the coaching change there, um, and I couldn't find a team overseas. I did look for that next year uh, beginning in February but I couldn't find a team Um, and so I decided to play with the Spirit Reserves and I went into that season like knowing that I would be playing with the reserve team but training with the um, full team because honestly I needed highlights in order to go overseas um, and I needed to play games you know if you don't play for a whole year you're like I need to play Um, and I went into that season knowing that I was going to be the number three Um, I played a ton of games with the reserve team in the W league and got a, like a lot of good experience. And I absolutely loved that season. Um, and then that's when I went overseas to Sweden after that year.
0: But I I want, I want you to backtrack and, and talk about, I'm going to, I'm going to grind you on this one. I want you to, I want you to talk about that year in Portland. What what was that um, What was that like? I mean, coming from, again, coming from, whoa. I'm assuming, a, a, a youth career where you have to be a, a top performer in order to get into a school like UNC and to get on Anson's radar. So you're mm-hmm. coming from an environment where you're the number one for, you know, so, so, so long. You go to UNC and, you know, you know that you're part of, you know, the top tier of players in, in the college system. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're released into the world and you don't you don't get any minutes. And so that has to have had some type of impact on you. Well,
1: I think luckily or not, not luckily, depending how you look at it, um, my youth career, I did play for PDA, and I played for a really good team. And then when I went to college, I initially went to Yale for a year, and then I transferred to UNC basically – Um, I had met Dukar, who was the goalkeeper coach. I knew him pretty well. And I had talked to Anson, but they were kind of like, you know, there's very little chance that you're going to get playing time here. Um, and I went anyway, just to like be in that environment. And so I kind of worked my way in from the third string there, um, to playing. And so I think when things didn't necessarily go my way, I'm not sure that I expected them to right away. Um, obviously it was, tough but i would say the tough part was kind of going into that environment where you know alex morgan and christine sinclair and tobin are like shooting on you every day and you know you're not having the success that you maybe want to have um and i think more adjusting to the level was tougher than say not getting on the field um
0: What a double-edged but, yeah. sword, huh? It's like you, like you wanna you wanna be in an environment that's super competitive, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're dropped into, you know, the best female strikers just like dropping bombs on you every day at practice.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that transition from college to being a pro. I mean, I can't emphasize enough how how difficult that transition is for any player. Um, so I think it's like just important to. Obviously, work hard and try to be better, but also have some patience because it's 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 just hard, physically, mentally, the level, um, lifestyle-wise, <laughs> it's just a totally different world.
0: What what didn't college prepare you for? So the transition, the transition um, you, you're mentioning that it that it was difficult. It's so like what what were you least expecting, or or, or what weren't you ready for?
1: Um. I think college is a very safe environment in a sense. Um, Obviously UNC was competitive, um, but you were going to be on the team pretty much no matter what, unless you did something really bad. Um, You're also going to school. So you have this sort of dual purpose uh, that you're working with. Uh, A lot of times financials is not an issue, Um, And so I think then you go into this environment where some people have been playing 10 years more than you have, um, and they're just better. (laughs) And it's very competitive because, like you mentioned, the roster is very small, Um, you know, and whether or not you make the team like depends on whether or not you're going to be able to support yourself. (laughs) Um, So I think it's. Not to mention, you know, you graduate from college and you wonder, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And that seems like a much more pressing question at that point in time than it should be, maybe. Um, and so you're kind of trying to figure out all this stuff at once. Um, and it can just be be a tough year.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. One of the yeah. things I was, I was talking with somebody about uh, recently, I, I can't remember exactly when, but at the coffee shop down the street from my house we were talking Mm -hmm. about women's soccer and she asked me, you know, how much women are making. And and I have like a a general idea of of the salaries in NWSL. And Mm -hmm. she mentioned to me like, you know, that's not enough to live on. And I was like, yeah, I know. So a lot of, a lot of these (laughs) girls have, you know, other, other jobs or other side projects that they're, that they're pursuing simultaneously with their, um, with their Mm -hmm. NWSL careers. and, and, not until probably, you know, within the last decade or so, I, I, I feel like the, the men don't have to worry about that as much anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. for the most part, MLS salaries, um, are, are very, very, you know, good wages when it, when it comes to, Mm -hmm. um, just American lifestyle. But, um, but that's something that, that, you know, men transitioning from college soccer to professional soccer—the guys that do make it—you know—they don't have to worry about th- those those same types of things. And so, when you mentioned that, you know, going from having you know everything taken care of in college to all of a sudden, like, you know, how am I going to make it as a pro? Mm-hmm. That's that's a very interesting struggle. And yeah, I don't know if there's enough enough attention on that specific topic. I don't even know how to cover that specific topic because it's kind of it's it, it's kind of all over the place.
1: Right. And I think you kind of figure it out obviously, and I think a lot of times especially you know, talking about over here in Sweden, the way that they kind of set you up is you know, you may not have a huge salary, but you know, we get lunch every day at the paper mill. So, it's kind of like a small thing that is, you know, a pretty big help. Um, and I think you can kind of piece it together to where it works. You know, you can figure out a way to make it work for sure. And as a female athlete, you you do, you figure it out. However you can figure out how to play, um, you know, you figure it out. But I think it's a hard transition just because in college there is so much money. I mean, you have so much gear and so much, you know, they feed you all the time. And it's just everything is taken care of someone's laying out your uniform and washing your clothes and um it just seems it, it is a, a transition um sometimes obviously my first year in Portland obviously was a bit different I mean they did take care of everything um but some clubs don't have as many resources and you kind of just you figure it out you coach kids you you know, pick up a second job or or whatever you have to do, but it, it takes some getting used to, especially if you have a college degree, you kind of feel like, oh, I should, I should be, you see your friends doing better, you know, financially and you're thinking, oh, I should be living like that. But in reality, you know, it's, you're doing it so you can play. So it's, you just figure it out.
0: And I guess, well, I don't, I don't want to get to it yet. I'm gonna. I'm mm-hmm. obviously gonna mention in the intro what you and Tiffany are. You know, your your guys' side side gig, but um, mm-hmm. I don't want to get to that quite yet. I want to talk okay. about your your decision to actually go to Sweden, and the you know the the hesitations maybe that you had at first, or if there were no hesitations at all. If it was, you know, it could have been. Like, nope, I'm going right away. Like, this is it. But, but the, the process that you went through and, and maybe who you reached out to for information or consultations or, you know, your, your network of of people that kind of helped you make the decision to, to travel overseas. Um, I think, I'm trying to think
1: when I, I got an agent, uh, he was a, a German agent and the, the the point was to find a place overseas. And I think I, I don't know if I started talking, talking to him after when I was in Portland or after I got waived from Portland. Um, That might've been when I, I contacted him and um, he started looking for teams. Um, And so he was the one that found me uh, this team in Sweden. And uh, obviously there are some hesitations when you, are going to go live in a foreign country and you've never been there and you don't know the people. And, and it's a little freaky, but I think I just really wanted to play at that point and I probably would have gone anywhere. (laughs) So I think there weren't so many hesitations in that sense, but obviously if you're, if you're moving overseas, it's, it's scary the first time
0: what was life like when you, when you landed there, when you had made the decision <laughs> and okay, I'm here. What next? Yeah.
1: Well, it was funny. Cause I obviously there's snow everywhere in Sweden in February. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I mean everywhere. And we, uh, the, the guy who runs the club here, here, his name's Ule and he, I mean, he does everything for this club. When I, I say he built it from the ground up, I mean physically with his bare hands. Like, he built the stadium. He <laughs> he put in the new turf. Um, but he drove us uh, from the airport to back to Borlangen, which is like two and a half hours outside Stockholm. Um, and I just remember him talking the whole time. And, and we were in the second division. It's called Eliteten. And um, obviously, like... I came over here thinking, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna help them win the league, and we're gonna go up to the highest division, and then I'll get to play in the highest division. That was my thought process, obviously. Um, and I just remember him talking about how the team had had terrible chemistry the year before, and they had basically fired half the team and brought up like, you know, players from the 19, F19 team, and and that, you know, he just wanted it to be like a good environment. You know, he didn't really you know, he kind of laughed when I was like, so like, we're going to win the league, you know, he was like, Oh, ha ha, basically funny. Um, so I remember that being my first experience and I was like, Oh, darn it. Like I really was hoping we we were going to win the league. Um, but we ended up winning the league. So spoiler alert, but, (laughs) uh, but I just remember the first thing being like, Oh, that's not what I expected. Um, but you know, it's cold and, snowy and we got to work and I absolutely love the team over here. So good girl, good group of girls.
0: Besides you being the person that, that prevented the other teams from scoring, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, you, what what else do you think attributed to you guys actually winning the league?
1: Oh man. I mean, well, we had a, a forward, her name is Tabitha Showinga and she just scored goals i mean she's from malawi um she was it was also her first year here when i got here and she didn't speak any english or any swedish and was super super shy um and it's just so funny cuz i she's now playing in china actually for a ton of money <laughs> but um i saw her the other week and she's so like animated like speaks so much English and it's just so funny to see how, like what a difference a few years makes, but she, um, she scored a ton of goals and then our team was, was tiny. I mean, we didn't have a backup goalkeeper. So like when we went to away games, I was like, if, if I couldn't play, I mean, there was no one to go in the goal. (laughs) I don't know what their plan (laughs) was, Um, but we were a tiny team. I mean, we had maybe 15, 16 players and you know, very young, but I think it worked in our favor in that we became very close and we played really well together. We were very like aggressive. Um, and so it, yeah, it was just like a, a mix of things that I think made it
0: work. The, the, the language barrier is interesting to me too. And for, for a number of different reasons, but what, mm-hmm. what did the club, offer players uh, when it comes to you know learning the language or communicating with with people that that don't have a a a common language how how does how is that handled at a second division women's club in sweden
1: (laughs) um well it was interesting because i think a lot of times they would offer to send the americans to like school here to learn swedish even though all the swedes speak basically perfect english so that's Better not necessarily us. an issue. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and then they always say they're so bad. And I'm like, you're really not bad at all. Um, <laughs> so that's not necessarily an issue. Um, but when I came here before, the schools were kind of all full, I think, especially because of the whole refugee thing. There were like all the Swedish classes, basically. They didn't have any um, openings. But thought the Malawian Player, she went to school for Swedish and English and I think some other subjects too. Um, but I had a couple of my teammates try to help teach me Swedish. I'm not very good. I know a lot of words, but I don't know any grammar. So when I speak people, you know, they're kind of like, well, I get what you're saying, but no one would ever <laughs> say it like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I can understand a lot now, but yeah. you just get that from listening.
0: So I, I guess like the the idea behind an interview like this, you know, talking to mm-hmm. somebody that's that's gone through the American, you know, youth club system, the traditional American college route, um, is now playing abroad in you know in Europe. the The idea mm-hmm. behind this is is to kind of give either players or coaches or parents an idea of, you know, what what they can do better or what they what they need to be prepared for in order to go through this process themselves or to assist their their players along that journey as well. And there's a lot of parents that listen to this and and hear the hear the advice from either, you know, other professional coaches or other professional players and and that's a big help to them if they have a, you know, a 10, 11 or 12-year-old player. So yeah. What what do you think people need to know about your journey or the process that you've been through that can help them later on down the road?
1: Hmm. I think it's interesting cuz I think the answer to that in terms of the college process is maybe a little bit different than the professional process if you want to call it that kind of thing. Um But I think my main personal thing is just, if you're playing soccer, play it because you love to play it and play it to win. (laughs) And I think if you do those two things, you kind of won't go wrong. I think any decision that I've ever made that has been wrong has been for reasons other than that. Um, And so I think anything that is sort of guiding a child, especially, um, should just be do they want to do it and do they want to do it to the best of their ability for them, not you know for any other reason. I think um, anytime you do something to get into college or because you think it'd be cool to play professionally or, or whatever, I think that that's when, when things tend to go wrong. That's kind of a very macro idea, but
0: no, that would absolutely. be my general advice. Absolutely. It reminds me of something that was presented to me like an idea that was presented to me when I was coaching girls soccer actually at a high school mm-hmm. and I went to some like seminar this guy selling snake oil like to parents how to how to get your kid <laughs> into college right but there was oh, there was yeah, one <laughs> yeah there was one piece of advice that really did stick out to me as as a good piece of advice though, and it was mm-hmm. you know go to some place that you're going to play, so don't have your don't have your eyes You know, or your heart set on just one place, just because it's you know the name, or you like the color of the school, or whatever. But it's like if you're Mm -hmm. not going to play there, then you know, or if it's not going to help you at all to to go there, then why go there? So you know, if a if a D two or a D three school is going to offer you, you know, a partial you know uh, scholarship and you know guaranteed ninety minutes a week, go there instead of, Mm -hmm. um, you know having to pay your entire way through and, and sit the bench for four years at, you know, whatever school, blah, 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 blah. So I've, that, that advice has always stuck with me and I've always Mm -hmm. related that back to now the professional route. So if, if players, especially most of my experience these days is with, um, young male players. So Mm -hmm. if, if you're, if you want to play, uh, professionally, you know why would you go to major league soccer for example if you're more than likely going to have number 1 a shit contract and number 2 probably not play very many minutes when you could go abroad mm-hmm. and play in a division 2 or division 3 get 90 minutes week in week out for a little bit less salary and mm-hmm. so so i've kind of taken that advice that he gave to college players and now adapted that and and apply that to you know, thinking about professional soccer, and it kind of and as I'm as I was saying that, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like she actually did the opposite. Like she went to UNC and sat the bench. <laughs> and, but so, but you you had a yeah. very similar trajectory when it came to the professional game, though. It's like you decided to go. You you left Portland, or you was waved from Portland. You left the United States, and now you're doing the you went and did the D two thing in Sweden, and mm-hmm. and it's working out. So you've kind of lived both both sides of it, I guess. Is that is that fair to say?
1: yeah I think it just kind of depends on yeah, it's tough, yeah, because i I feel like I have done both things, and I think it's important to it's something I still struggle with because I think you want to push yourself and continue to um, grow and I think it's important to kind of measure yourself up, you know, the beginning of this year, I played. Um, in Seattle and Portland, I did like uh, goalkeeper replacement contracts um, because I played, sorry. So I played in Sweden my first year, we won the league and then I came back. So we got to, I got to play in the highest league here. And then I played a year in Iceland. And then at the beginning of this year I played, you know, I did replacement contracts in those two, with two, those two clubs. And um, kind of the idea behind that was number one, be home in the U.S. Uh, for a little bit after being away for three years, and then and the other thing, just to kind of measure up for my own benefit. You know, what do I need to continue to work on? Like, um, can I get a, earn a contract? Can I just see where I'm at? That kind of thing. Um, and so I think it's good to maybe do do both in a sense. Is kind of push yourself sometimes, and and then at other times, you know, go somewhere where you know you're going to play and be valued. and And also, I think another factor is you know, when you go somewhere, you can help the team. <laughs> and I think the the things you can learn from that are also very beneficial. Um, if you're always fighting for a spot on the team and always fighting for a spot on the field, um, you don't necessarily get to have that experience where, you know, you get to lead a team, you know, and, and try to help them be better um, at certain things that you can bring to the table. So I think uh, there's – something valuable in that as well. So I think maybe it's just the balance.
0: What you just mentioned is actually something that I talked with, um, Stuart Singer about recently. Mm-hmm. I know, I know that you and Tiffany and, and Stu know each other pretty well. Loves love
1: Stu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But he helped he, me out
1: this year, the, earlier this year.
0: That's, that's awesome. Great. Um, he, he mentioned something very similar to what you just talked about where players want to feel valued wherever they are. And so if they don't feel Mm -hmm. like they're providing any value to the team, well, then it's like, why am I there? And, and value Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, playing, you know, 90 minutes, but you know, as, as long as, as long as they feel like they're contributing to the, you know, the overall success or mission of the team, then, you know, then, then the player, you know, feels, um, satisfied, I guess, is, is one way to, is one way to put it. Um, yeah. And and you kind of you kind of danced around a, a similar thought like that, and so I'm wondering if if you yeah. and Stort have actually talked about anything related to that.
1: Um, I'm not sure if we talked about anything in that realm. Now that I'm thinking about it, um, but I, I definitely would agree, and I think that that's one of the big challenges for coaches is to not make players feel valued because I think part of it is intrinsic, right? If you're a player, even if you're on the bench, you can feel like you can contribute. Um, I definitely have always felt like, you know, if you're in training, you do your best because you're helping the team kind of a thing. Um, But I also think that the best managers are somehow able to create an environment where you feel like I said, at UNC, I mean, I was a third string goalkeeper. I always felt like I was important, you know? So I think that is definitely a huge, huge thing. And, Um, in creating a successful team because your bench can sink you (laughs) pretty much, pretty easily.
0: Absolutely. Um, Yeah, so let's transition into why you and Stuart and and Tiffany, um, you know, have all kind of worked together. So I want to give you a chance to talk about your amazing product that is like on fire in the coaching world in the United <laughs> States. I, and I also, I want to ask if you ever anticipated it, you know, growing the way that it's, that it's growing.
1: Um, no, I think it's grown a very strange, not strange way, but, um, obviously we've our notebook people, <laughs> that's why we created it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we wanted to have this, no- this specific notebook. I remember the last time I was in Sweden, I had a regular Moleskine notebook and I was drawing the field in myself, and, and I just wanted this notebook. So I think we knew we would want it. Um, but I don't necessarily think we thought, oh, a ton of people are going to want a physical notebook, especially you know, the way that things are going this day towards you know, phones and the internet and stuff. So, um, and then I think the reason I say strange is kind of grown a strange way is the whole social media aspect. And um, I'm sure that you know, this kind of little community shouldn't say little, it's kind of a big community of sort of young coaches that are trying to learn from one another and get better. Um, I think it's been really cool to kind of find all these people that I never would have met before in my life. Um, But it's like kind of an exciting little cool community. Um, that we've kind of gotten to be a part of, so it's been fun to discover that.
0: Yeah. You, you, you have definitely tapped into a sharing community, which is amazing. And, and it's one thing, you know, Twitter can be looked at however you want to look at it. Right. But Mm -hmm. if, if people are looking for something that Twitter is really good for Mm -hmm. sharing, sharing ideas, and then specifically to the soccer world, sharing, you know, training notes and sessions and videos and, and things like that. Like Twitter is an absolutely great tool for that and coaches in your community, you know, uh, I, have just, I, I, I've watched it grow from, from afar. And then <laughs> more so like my like purposefully, uh, looking into it recently after interviewing, you know, Tiffany and Stuart and, um, mm-hmm. and Matt, uh, I think you guys work with Matt, right. From soccer pulse.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I interviewed Matt recently too. So after interviewing all you guys, um, I've, I've kind of been keeping a closer eye on, on your specific community of, of coaches. It's an amazing group of people. Um, everybody's so eager to learn and eager to share as well, which is, um, not the traditional norm in American soccer coaching. When you think about soccer coaching education in the United States, for the most part, especially like USSF courses, it's very like closed door. Um, uh, okay. it's, it's almost like the policy is like you need to pay $2,000 to get access to this information. <laughs> and you guys have flipped that on its head and you guys have said, no, 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 no. Share everything that you guys write down in this notebook with everybody so everybody can learn. And I think that's yeah. a, a very valuable resource for people. Um, so Yeah, that's one thing
1: interesting because... That I, we I don't know that kind of stuff necessarily, um, but it's interesting to to hear from that perspective.
0: Yeah, I I, I was recently writing like a like a price comparison between um, coaching courses across the United States and different products that are available, and it's just like yeah. I always I always come back to how difficult it is to access information from U.S. Soccer. It's like pulling teeth, um, wow. whether whether you want to talk about coaching courses or you know, mm. just a- anything in general, for involved with U.S. soccer is like pulling teeth. And so, um, having people yeah. that are, that are young and innovative and willing to do things differently mm-hmm. is, is amazing. And, and you and Tiffany are, are building something that's right, right, at, or, you know, right up that alley of, of products that are worth mentioning. And, I don't want to say that I have any type of cloud or anything like that, but I don't, I don't recommend many (laughs) products and I I have no problem recommending yours.
1: Oh, well, thank you. We really appreciate it. It makes a difference. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) I I don't want to, I don't want to take up like your entire evening, but I I do want to ask you, I I do want to ask you when you were in Sweden, you said that you had a, a, you know, the regular moleskin notebook and you were drawing out field, um, you know, pictures of fields and and things like that. You were a player and, and so I'm curious why, Mm -hmm. like why the need or why the desire to, to be writing, you know, drawing soccer diagrams in a notebook for you. What, what was the purpose of that?
1: Um, honestly, I just had a lot of coaches growing up that made me or asked me, made me, (laughs) um, you know, write out training sessions, like after the fact. Um, and I've just, continued and always kind of used it as a way to learn and remember things. And especially being a goalkeeper, I figure if you write down every goal that's been scored on you, then you won't do it again kind of a thing. Um, So I think it's really just a way, you know, when I'm watching film of the team we're about to play, you know, I make notes about what's happening, um, especially now because I I do coach goalkeepers, Um, you know, I'll write down drills that I really like or even, you know, field player drills, um, that I think are really cool from training so that I remember them or have them for later. Um, so I've just always been a, a notebook person and so, and, and I'm OCD, so drawing the field in is not great because it's not look <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Just cause just before I, I was walking back from the coffee shop right now and I was, I was looking at your Instagram story and there's the, you have an OCD <laughs> post on there. <laughs>
1: I know. I know. I wouldn't say it's like terrible. I know that's like probably a real disease and everything. I just, yeah, you know, it bothers me when my lines aren't straight. I'm like, well, now I've ruined this notebook. I need a new one. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, yeah.
0: That's yeah. funny. Um, <laughs> Well, I, I want to, uh, this interview has been all over the place, which is in a way <laughs> awesome, but, you know, people can kind of pick this up at any point during the conversation mm-hmm. and, and, you know, kind of find a different topic that's, I think, interesting. Yeah. But I want to make sure that I ask you, you know, is there something that, that you that you really wanted to talk about that I didn't ask about? Or did you have an idea coming in in this interview, you know, of, of something that you wanted to say or, or a message you wanted to get out to people?
1: Um, no, I think you covered everything really well, playing career, um, the soccer notebooks. Uh, really that's the majority of my life. I'm kind of a boring person. I go to practice, (laughs) I come back, I do work, I go to practice again, I come home. Um, but yeah, it's been a great interview. Good job.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, there, there's a there's a number of different things that that I'm going to link to in the write up of this podcast, mm-hmm. and if people want to find more information about you, there's actually quite a bit out there. Like if you if people want to see you know y- your work with with Yaël, I know that you guys are very close with with her and and what she does for mm-hmm. for her company. If people want to find more. About the Duktic brand um, notebooks, we're obviously yeah. I'm obviously going to link to that. Um, I'm sure that you've seen the communication between Tiff and I. So um, you know, there's there's possibility of, of more on, on that horizon. Uh, interviews yeah. with with obviously with the people that I just mentioned, and Stuart and Matt, and now you, yeah. um, Carmelina. I don't know if 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 Tiff has connected you with her yeah, yet. Carm- yeah, so so Carm, yep. Carm's a, a another episode that's going to be released soon. So, you know, oh, just awesome. j- just this entire network that 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 you guys have is is really amazing, and and that's why I wanted to continue to kind of dive into it. Um, not for selfish reasons, but but because I feel like you know, more people need to get to know you and and the people that oh. that are doing good work. And so I, I just wanted to make sure that I that I really emphasize that. And I'm I'm very I feel very privileged that you guys have kinda given me access to to yourselves and to your network.
1: Oh, well, I mean, likewise I think you've built a very nice community with your podcast. I think it's awesome what you've done.
0: <laughs> thank you. So
1: I, I feel privileged to be honest. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I don't think there's any need to be privileged. I'm literally sitting in a bedroom right now recording a, a podcast. So there's... Me too. <laughs> Me, too. Um, Me too. All right, cool. Well, uh, I, yeah, just thank you. Thank you for, for sharing a little bit of, of insight and, and for volunteering your time to come on here. I appreciate it.
1: Uh, same. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. And thank you to my guest Adelaide Gay for spending about an hour with me on the phone and telling me all about, or telling us all about her experiences in American soccer and abroad. I hope that you guys found that useful and if you are looking for more episodes of Talks with professional players, coaches, uh, non-professional players, non-professional coaches, people more like you and me probably. Uh, You can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, .com. And that is also where you can learn how to support and help fund this podcast. And I'm talking specifically about the 343 Coaching Education Program. And that is a program that I have been through that thousands actually of other coaches have been through. And one of those coaches is Tom Beyer. And here's Tom to talk a little bit about his experience going through one of our online courses. And I can tell you after someone who's done a lot of coaches education, both as and as an instructor, that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full time course. Because the the one thing that I liked about what they're presenting is again, it's simplicity, man. Huh? It's very simple. It's not a lot of you know complicated words. It makes sense, and it goes right directly to the heart of of, of, of the game on, on on how to how to develop, um, not just you know individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, if you would like to learn more about the 343 Coaching Education Programs and how you can help support and fund this podcast, you can do that by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the numbers, 343coaching, all spelled out.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the 343 Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time.